Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and today we're going to tackle a question sent in by Amanda Locker about what to do in a kitten's sensitive development period. We call that the the window, the sensitive development window. But before we jump into that, I want to share something exciting with you. The bonding tip of the week. This is sponsored by Vitacraft. They're the makers of Lick and Lap, the treat that I use in shelters that I talk about a lot. We're going to start doing these bonding tips of the week, weekly, of course. And this week, we're going to start off with why is it best to use food to bond with your cat? You know, like, can't you just cuddle with your cat on the couch and and then it's going to really love you and feel like that's a bonding moment? you know, kind of like your husband does, wouldn't that be enough? Well, the answer is no, that's not enough for cats. You know, cats are really independent. And and when you get right down to it, they don't really need us. And I think on a lot of levels, maybe they're not even truly domesticated, certainly not in the way dogs are. You know, cats are natural born hunters. And if they found themselves outside, you know, most of them would be able to hunt and, and survive. And, and so why food and not petting and affection? You know, I think it's also because if you, we know more about dogs. And so I always like to, to do an analogy to dogs, but dogs are motivated by affection from you. Dogs have evolved with a social hierarchy where everybody has a place in the family and they see us as pack leaders. And a dog's goal in life is to please the pack leader. Well, cats did not evolve with that social hierarchy. So they don't have that. So, you know, food is it. They do seek a tasty treat and they might not always appreciate our affection as much. We'll dive deeper into tips about how to bond with your cat each week. So now I want to welcome my handsome husband and co-host, Dewey Vaughn. Hello, everyone. Hello to my beautiful wife and the host of this show. I just want to let everybody know that uh, this is a great opportunity to be talking about some of that Vitacraft Lick and Lab because I do see my wife use it quite often and taking care of some of the kitties and cats that she works with. And they seem to respond to it well and well enough that uh, our cat loves it. And we'll seek it out wherever it's at. <laughs> what he really means to say is he always asks me, why do we have all this lick and lap around the house? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, all the cats love it. <laughs> they love it. And it's a great way to, to bond with your kitty. But, you know, you, you started off saying that this was kitten sensitivity development. And, you know, you think about human development. And I, in my mind, there's lots of different development stages, and I'm sure there's probably going to be some of that in your conversation as you talk about it. But specifically to kittens, I think of it as during that time period when I was, you know, two to five years old and I'm really developing 
a lot at that time. That's where you kind of stick your hands where they're not supposed to go. And you're supposed to, you do stuff that you're not supposed to be doing. And you're always getting that, that no, don't, no, stop. You know, you get to spank on the hand and all that. So that's kind of what I think about the sensitivity development section. And I know you're probably going to dive into more about what that should look like, but you know, then I'd like to ask you, why do you call it a window? And what was the question that Amanda sent in to you? Well, we call it a window because it's a really narrow time frame. So, and it's kind of like you say, you know, the window's closing on that. So it, it really is an opportunity to formulate a kitten's personality and it doesn't last forever. So that's why we call it a window. So yeah, I do want to read you what Amanda sent in. So Amanda sent in, what do you do in your kitten's development window? I know you said there was a developmental window around seven to 10 weeks. I probably butchered that time frame, but it's okay because I don't have a kitten yet. Where if your kitten experiences things, they're less likely to be afraid of them later in life. Could you give a checklist of things to expose a cat to early in life to make things easier down the road? For a deeper dive, is there anything you wouldn't expose them to? That's what she sent in. So what is the development window for kittens then? Well, it's it's much earlier than Amanda thought. It, it actually closes at, at seven weeks. So it's really three to seven weeks. A lot of people say it's two to seven weeks. And it's defined as, you know, the time when they're, it, it's crucial for their brains because their brains are receptive to learning about the kind of social world they're going to live in as they get older. And, you know, it's really hard to get kittens this age. And I want to read to you something that um, Dr. Zazie Todd wrote. They say, you may also have heard people refer to a critical period for socialization. A critical period means that if the right exposure doesn't happen during that window, the abilities will never be developed. It has a sharp beginning and end and is most likely controlled by genetics. For example, the critical period for vision in cats is from when their eyes open between two and 16 days and three months. If they are deprived of visual information during this time, some of the cells in their brain responsible for vision will not develop correctly and even die, meaning they'll never develop normal feline vision. Interesting. That's very interesting. So what do you think the goals of good early socialization in that window are? Well, you, the, here's the things that we that need to happen out of that. They need to know what behaviors are okay and what behaviors are, are not okay. They need to learn that you know humans are not big and scary. Humans are not to be feared, which is a really important one because you know 30% of their personality comes from genetics. So if they're offspring of feral cats that are very fearful of people because they've never been exposed to them then they're going to inherit some of that. So, so some of that teaching that humans aren't to be feared is a steeper hill for some kittens than others. We want them to know that it's, it's safe to approach them, you know, both, both ways. It's safe when we're approaching them and it's safe for them to approach us. 
and we want them to know that human handling, you know, should be associated with with positive things rather than negative things. So let's say you're not able to get a kitten that age, so to speak. Is there still an opportunity to affect later life fear? Um, yes, but it sure takes a lot longer. You know, it's it's the three to seven weeks is is inherent in most kittens. And it's it's almost like imprinting. If you think about it, like imprinting, you know, there's a window for little yeah. baby chicks and yeah. you've seen them like all over the Internet. They'll imprint on a cat and the little chick falls around the cat because it didn't have a, a duck to imprint on. So it's, it's kind of like that <laughs> period. Those are those are cute. <laughs> but, you know, if if after that seven weeks, you know, either uh, older kittenhood or even adult age, then we're no longer developing a socialization window. We're actually counter conditioning opinions that may have already been formed, either inherited or farmed, you know, and I think it's really important. And you're right. We don't always get an opportunity to have a kitten at that age. If you're a foster, you know, you're probably fostering a, a litter of kittens up until they're eight weeks. So you're going to have them there right in that sweet spot of, you know, four to six weeks in that sensitive development window. And those of you that bottle feed even get a greater opportunity. And those of you that foster nursing moms get a super opportunity to affect the whole litter during this time. But, you know, not everybody fosters. And we weren't fostering at the time that we got Pico. So, I think it's real important to ask questions about the foster's environment. You know, we thankfully had a close relationship with the with the rescue group. And when Pico became available, they knew that we were looking for a Tabasco lookalike. And she sent me a picture and I said, yeah, but, you know, he's already eight weeks old. I was really kind of thinking I would foster to adopt. And uh, and I said, you know, can I talk to the foster? So they put me in touch with the foster and I realized that his environment was so varied and somewhat chaotic that he would probably thrive in an environment like ours where we travel a lot and things are changing and, you know, lots of people and running around town and stuff like that. So, you know, you, it's a good point that, you know, you, you can't always get a kitten at that age, but you're also right. It's not impossible to train them at a later age. That's just takes longer and it's a whole different process than what we're talking about here. Yeah, I want to divert just for a second because it really came to light. Uh, being born and raised on a um, farm and ranch, I can tell you that what we used to do with horses right after they were born is imprint them. We would put paper on them and crinkly stuff and, you know, pet them as they're right after they're born because later on, you know, if you don't do something like that, they get very fearful of anything and spooky. Yeah, and yeah. and you don't want to be riding a horse that's spooked all of a sudden. So we figure if we get it, get them at an early age and get all those noises and get them used to it early. They don't get so so afraid of it. Exactly. And I, and I know that I think that our cat somewhere along the line was, uh, you know, imprinted with dogs where, you know, he was yeah. exposed to dogs. And now, you know, he's he doesn't fear dogs unless it's some great big dog that's coming after him or something but, <laughs> but for the most part he doesn't run from dogs or hiss at dogs or you know he just goes up and smells them and you know kind of 
is there, but uh, for the most part, he's he's imprinted in that. So yeah. you know, I get you can you, if you think about it, you can find lots of experiences that match what you're talking about, which is which is great. But what types of personality traits do you see in a dog cat who has had bad experiences during this time? Yeah, and you're right. You know, using horses that's a that's a great analogy, and and I guess every being has a sensitive development period. It dogs too. It's just different. Dogs sensitive development period is longer. That window is open wider and closes slower than it does in cats. Makes cats a little more challenging because this is a very narrow period of time. I mean, we're talking, you know, four weeks, basically one month. So when you get a, a kitten that, you know, has had some bad experiences or lack of experiences during that that window, it results in, in trauma really, you know, and, and it, it could result in all kinds of things, but it, and it may be the best way to think about that is a dysfunctional avoidance attachment system. So what that means is, you know, they've never been exposed to people. And um, so they're not going to be attached to people. They, they avoid people. They're like, Oh no, I'm not going to get attached to that person. And, and so they don't bond well, you know, or, or other animals, like you mentioned with, you know, with Pico, they don't bond with other animals. If a cat, a kitten is raised solo, so let's say by a, a foster who never handles it often, and it's not around other kittens or cats, then it's really going to be afraid of other cats later in life because it doesn't know what they are, really. You know, you mentioned animals, so like we're talking about here, many different types of things and experiences. So the experiences during this time affects how they would be with other cats and dogs, correct? Yeah. Like I just said, if a kitten was raised solo and they've never seen another cat, that's going to be a really scary thing later in life. And like you said, Pico, the, the foster environment that he came from, they had other cats, they had the kittens out in a in like a, a wire cage in the middle of their living room and they had dogs walking around and the dogs had had you know seen plenty of fosters come and go so they would go sniff the kittens and the other cats would be in there and they even had goats and horses and stuff like that so i knew he had been exposed to a variety of animals and likely wouldn't be afraid of them you know like I said pico's not pico has lots of dog friends he really likes so that's a cool thing you know our cat tabasco boy he wasn't exposed to dogs clearly in his critical development period and so he didn't like dogs and barely liked other cats so what does the term better socialized look like in an adult cat well, you know, that's interesting. I, I could give you my off the top of my head uh, answer to that, but there actually have been quite a few scientific studies in this area about cats. And what they found are the cats that had more exposure to humans during this window of time, they approach people more readily, um, both strangers and their owners. They enjoyed touch more they, you know, were happy being picked up and carried around, and they were much less fearful of strangers than other cats. 
So let's dive into the types of things you should expose them to. And I would imagine handling is top of the list. Oh yeah, definitely. Not only positive handling, you know, like, like touching them all over and clearly, you know, Pico had a lot of belly rubs when at this time, because he loves belly rubs, (laughs) which is unusual on a cat. I don't recommend people rub their cat's tummy, but (laughs) he'll roll over on his back and, and really want you to come rub his tummy like a dog, you know, but, you know, picking up and carrying them around, of course, but you also want to make sure that they're comfortable being handled in a vet's office. You know, Dr. Sonia Shin, she had a, a great program for kitten garden where, you know, you actually, you actually, you know, pinch the kitten's skin, like it's going to get an injection and you hold a, um, you know, a, a a needle without a needle. I forget what you call that, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, or a syringe without a needle up against the cat. So it oh. sees it, you know, you expose it to maybe sense of alcohol and things like that, that it's going to experience in a vet office. So, you know, just handling like that, how, how they would be touched in a, in a vet's office and also, you know, carrying them incorrectly. You know, we always say when you pick up a cat, put your hands under its bottom and support it. So it feels like that. Well, not everybody's going to pick it up that way. I've seen a lot of vet techs carry my cat out of the room, you know, by picking it up under their front legs. So giving it a variety of, of picking up and handling and touching from, you know, nose to tip of tail, I think is important. Okay. So, and you've always said, being handled by a variety of people is always best. Like several people in the house or people that come over and always giving the cat something else to, to think about, I guess, through that process. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, we used to foster in our office. We had a lot of people in and out there and we'd carry the kittens to the front door when the, it was a locked door that had to be entry system. So UPS guy would show up and we'd greet him at the door with a kitten and make him hold it. He had gloves on, you know, guy in a hat. I mean, it's, it's very important that they're around different aged people, kids, babies, men, women, people who smell differently, you know, think about also silhouettes of people because, you know, that's real important to a cat. They look at you kind of how you're outlined. And so if they don't see a guy in a beard, the first guy they see with a big beard, they're going to be like, what, what is that? You know, different kinds of hats. And like I said, gloves and things on your hands and just, you know, people, I mean, all kinds of people, every, every kind of walk of life of people, you know, you carry those kitten, kitten or kittens around and say, here, hold my kitten here, hold my kitten to everybody you meet, you know, now, obviously, you know, disease is an issue. So also carry hand sanitizer. So sanitize your hands here, hold my kitten. (laughs) (laughs) So I would imagine things like car rides and getting into a carrier would also be very helpful too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially in things, you know, like we talked about, like vet visits for later in life, you know, you don't, I I hear people all the time, they got to sedate their cat just to get them to the vet, you know, that, you know, they, the cats just goes bananas getting into the car. And the first time you put them in that carrier and they associate going in a car ride, scary, 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 
to a vet office, you know, scary smell, scary people, you know, bunch of strangers, other animals around, you know, the next time they see that carrier, they're going to go run under the bed. So absolutely, you got to put the kittens in a carrier, take them for rides in a car, you know, go places, carry them in. You know, I could tell Pico was very well socialized because I drop him off at the vet. I dropped him off at the vet here the other day and and I just hand him over because it was during the time when they, you know, wouldn't COVID wouldn't let people inside the clinic. So you wait in the parking lot and I would leave him in the parking lot with his harness and leash. We walk outside while we're waiting because that's another thing you really should expose them to young in life. You know, I had a little baby kitten harness for Pico when we first got him and a leash and we took him outside and walked him all the time. So we go to the vet. We walk around outside in that area that's designated for dogs, by the way, and lady comes out and, you know, okay, Pico, and I hand him off and he's perfectly happy that, you know, she's, she's not holding him right because she needs the other hand to open the door. So she's kind of got him scooped up under one arm, back legs dangling. And he's perfectly happy with that. And they bring him back out to me and they're all like, oh my God, we almost didn't give him back to you. He's the sweetest cat ever because they're not used to seeing cats so relaxed in their environment. So it's super, super important. Car rides, kennel, you know, carrier exposures, all of that's important. That's really good. What about odd things, you know, like water? Can you actually, and I've seen this, uh, I've seen some kittens on some news report or some things where, where, you know, most people say cats won't get in the water, but I've seen kittens actually that were, were born on some kind of island or something and were swimming across the lake and these fisher, these guys in a fishing boat come by and scoop them up out of the water and they were swimming just fine partway across the lake. So <laughs> you didn't share that link with me. I think I did. It's a long time <laughs> ago that I saw that, but. Anyway, what about, uh, can you actually desensitize a cat to the water? Because I know they don't like it. Sure. I mean, you can desensitize them to pretty much anything. And if you start really young, like let's say the kittens are three or four weeks of old and you get a big vat of water or a, a kitty pool, it's got to be really warm, right? That, that's the biggest thing with cats is that they, they prefer water to be really warm because their body temperatures are 102. So they're much warmer than our, you know, 98 degree body temperatures. So make sure that water is really warm and, you know, set them in there, make sure it's real shallow, set them in there at first, and then just do that repeatedly. You know, they're likely not going to be worried about water later in life. You know, I guess it's, it's probably kind of like teaching a, a young kid to swim. You know, you start really early. A lot of people teach their kids to swim as babies and they are really great swimmers when they're adults. So let's talk about another one. How about surfaces? You know, sometimes you want them on surfaces, certain surfaces, and other times you don't want them on there. Is there a benefit to putting the kitten on different surfaces? Oh, yeah, very much so. So again, let's talk about, you know, that scary vet visit. They're going to be on the metal table, which is not a surface that cats are typically comfortable with. So if you have like a stainless steel table, you know, take your kittens and let them walk around on the stainless steel table, you know, and better yet, if you've got some rescue remedy, you know, clean that table with rescue remedy, which is probably going to be a lot like what the vet office uses so that they're used to, you know, that smell. Now, you know, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, 
I think you ought to take a towel with you that smells like the cat when you go to the vet and put it down on that table, you know, so that the cat doesn't have to feel that. But, you know, but that's not always what happens, especially when they take the cat into the back for, you know, blood draws and things like that. They're going to be set down on another stainless steel surface because that's what's easy to sanitize. So, you know, and maybe glass surfaces, glass tables so that, you know, they can see through it and they aren't afraid of that. And let me think of other things like balconies, maybe concrete, you know, asphalt, grass. They've never walked on grass. That would be important. So sure, all kinds of surfaces and textures would, would be important. Well, one for sure you may not want to get them used to is to get on kitchen counters, which is <laughs> uh, one of the things that we hear a lot about, of course. They love to get on kitchen counters, and it's always one of the questions I think I hear you deal with on a consistent basis. So you don't want to get them used to that, right? Yeah, right. A lot of people wouldn't appreciate that too much. It's it's not something I choose to argue with Pico about. So I let them do that. And and you know, even if you never put them on your kitchen counter, that's not to say that by avoiding that they're never going to get up there because what they're really seeking is a high place to be next to you and food. You know, there's probably food up there they smell they're interested in. So that's that's a whole nother topic trying to, to get them to not counter surf. But definitely you probably don't want to put them up on your kitchen counter as kittens if you don't want them up there later. No guarantee that'll work. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was thinking about the, the horses with, that we used to imprint uh, when they were very young one of the things that we did do is kind of get them used to certain noises and stuff early on, you know, like a bang or, you know, some, some sort of noise that we think that might be uh, damaging, like crinkling uh, a paper sack uh, from somewhere that kind of gets them used to those, those noises. snakes rattling, snakes you? rattling. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. You kind of, you don't want to get the, it getting a horse and a snake combined together for sure. And you for sure don't want them, jumping out from underneath you so yeah well, that would be one of the things that we would do but like uh, cans uh with uh, rocks in them we'd oh, shake yeah. that so is noise an important thing to expose kittens to and and cats to yeah you know if you think about it all the senses are important and and sound is very important you know what if they're adopted into a home where the tv or the music is played really loud you know we don't live that way but some people do you know, what if you're in a home where people are yelling a lot, not not suggesting that you'd want to fight around the kittens, but talking to them very loud from time to time is probably a really good idea. You know, and, and, and even in the other direction, other things that just aren't normal. You know, like if you took a four week period of time like we're talking about in this sensitive development period, you know, we may go that whole four weeks talking at the same volume and the kitten's never going to be exposed to anything but that. But what about whispering or whistling and singing and laughing? You know, I mean, I wouldn't want to traumatize a kitten with my singing, but, you know, <laughs> you <Mine> know, either. <laughs> but, but Pico seems really unfazed by any noises I make, you know, and there's sometimes I want to make noises to get him, you know, to get his attention and get him down off things, you know, and there's no amount of shushing him that I can do to, to get him off a counter. I can clap, I can shush, I can go, Psst, all that stuff. 
he just looks at me like, okay, whatever, you know, what's going on, mom? I mean, totally unfazed. You know, other sounds like hair dryers. I always make sure that I brush a cat while I have my hair dryer on so that they know. And that's more of a gradual desensitization. I turn it on and I leave it on for just a second. And then I pet them or brush them. And then I turn it on for a few more seconds and then brush them some more and things like that. Vacuum cleaner. That's another one they're going to see and hear. And so run it while the kittens are young. Blender, toilets flushing, something falling off the counter, you know, like, of course, when a cat just knocks something off a counter, <laughs> but things, things crashing to the floor, stuff like that. Make sure they hear all of those things they might hear later in life during this time. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about here is um, uh, taste. So if all of the senses are important, how do you handle taste? You know, taste is good and so is scent because we really haven't talked about that, but that has a lot to do with other animals. If they smell dogs and smell other cats, because scent is really, really important to cats. You know, we don't want to expose them to a lot of cleaning products or, you know, carpet fresh and stuff like that. It's, it's not great for them. So I, I don't think you ought to do that, but, you know, definitely smelling different kinds of people and, um, and animals is good and taste. That's an interesting one. You know, if it were my kitten, I would never feed it dry food because I don't want it to develop a taste for dry food. But if you're fostering a kitten, you don't know what they're going to be fed later in life. So, you know, to keep them from being a very picky cat, feed them a lot of different textures and things like feed them dry food. So they know what that crunchy sensation is. Feed them canned food, but not just canned food, feed them pate and chunks and shreds and a lot of different textures. And that way they're not, you know, surprised by that when they get older. So what about the things not to expose them to? We haven't talked about that. Right. And we, we, we just talked about food. So let's start there. I'd say no people food. You know, you definitely don't want them to get used to eating people food, thinking that those smells are a source of food. Um, we absolutely don't want them to get used to biting people. So no rough play with your hands, you know, hands, you don't do the ah, claw with them when you play, you don't move your hands under the sheet and they attack them and bite them. You know, hands should only be for loving and feeding, never play, use toys for play. And, you know, we mentioned counters, you know, you, you can deter counter surfing, you know, of course, at that age, the cat's not going to probably get up on the counter. But, you know, if they did, let's say that there's a chair and a this and a that and they find their way to the counter, you know, you could put those those sonic cat scat mats, not the shock ones. Don't ever use those. But there's some that emit a really high noise that most cats dislike. You know, it, it, that's hard if your personal cats are allowed on counters and the fosters aren't. And you know, that was always a problem when I fostered because I allow my cats up on the counters. I kind of like them hanging up there with me. I pick one counter. That's the food prep counter. And I don't let them there, but all the other counters are fine. So probably safety situations, you know, like 
you know, you, you wouldn't want them to be comfortable around the sound of car engines or moving vehicles. So, you know, don't set them out in the driveway and start the car up. You wouldn't want to do that because I don't want them to be comfortable around cars. So I would, I would tend to isolate them from those sounds and sights. You know, another one I, I could think of is feet. I, I'd, I'd really rather Pico wasn't so comfortable with my feet because, you know, he goes in the kitchen and sprawls out. And at my mom's house, you know, they're, they're older and, you know, and, and he's pretty much the color of the floor and he stretches full out. So, you know, he's almost four feet long, toe to toe in the middle of the, and he managed to, you know, stretch his tail out and he takes up all the kitchen floor and you really have to step up and over him and he'll roll around you know, he's clearly no one's ever stepped on him because he has no fear of feet whatsoever. So I kind of wish he was a little more afraid of feet, maybe stomp around the kittens or something to scare them so that they're not as comfortable with your feet stepping. I, I don't know. You know, and one of the things that I wish Pico were comfortable with and other cats I've known is, is flying. And, and I guess you just have to load all the kittens up in a carrier and take flights, you know, take trips and fly them around the country, which isn't practical, but you know, you can't really simulate that. You can simulate the sound, but you can't really simulate the change in cabin pressure, which they seem to be sensitive about and things like that. So flying would be something I, I wish you know, Pico had been um, desensitized to, so that that would be easier. And I guess you wouldn't recommend putting them on top of the car as you're going down the road either. No, right? exactly. That'd be no. fine, right? No, you get them used <laughs> so to. So don't think about that one, guys, <laughs> at <know>. all. <laughs> In fact, you know, when we take Pico on trips, he's very conditioned to riding in the car. And when we take him on trips, you know, we try not to start the car first. Unless it's really cold, Dewey goes out and tries to warm it up for us. But it's better if the engine's not running and then you get in the car and then you start the car up so that they're, you know, they're they're more comfortable that way and they don't hear the engine noises. Well, this is amazing, Molly. As usual, you're always doing a fantastic job with these podcasts and, you know, introducing the Lick and Lap here is, is just going to be a great thing for people to use and go to. So, you know, I'd like to really just tell everybody out there, uh, if you uh, are interested in seeing more information, just email Molly. I'd like to also invite all of our listeners to help support the work that Molly does. She provides this podcast and other resources all for free. She works many behavior cases for free and to the low income cat parents she also does anything she can do to keep cats out of shelters. So if you also care about the cats, consider sending us a gratuity donation. It's super easy. Just go to the store at catbehaviorsolutions.com. Scroll down past the products to the bottom. There are donation amounts you can add to your cart and then check out. Oh, wait a minute. I don't think we're supposed to check out yet, right? Right. Don't check out yet. <laughs> <laughs> stop and pick up some toys and treats while you're there for your cat. We're actually going to start carrying the Lick and Lap product and some of their other amazing products. I, I say Lick and Lap all the time, but they've got some really cool new stuff coming out, like, like jellied stuff that comes up in a tube. I mean, and they're, you know, the thing about them is they're a small batch, high quality. 
you know, German based company. So, so the food is really quality, which is why I like their treats. Anyway, while you're there, pick up some cool stuff, catnip bags, you know, things for your cat to make your cat happy, you know, go out there and and find us on Facebook, like us on Facebook, please follow us on Instagram, check out our blog on the site. I post lots of things there too, that just don't have topics that are, you know, long enough to make a, a whole podcast out of, you know, and, and this is an all volunteer based podcast and business, all cat behavior solutions. We're here to help you take better care of your cat and increase the bond between the two of you. And we're going to keep doing it as long as shelter Shelter euthanasia is the number one cause of death in cats. Yay. Until next time, everybody keep calm and purr on. Goodbye, everybody. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.